Appreciate you. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. Um, I don't know if you noticed, Phil's wearing a San Francisco hat, and there was a serious debate five minutes before whether we should let him come up here. So let it be said, there, there is the space for diversity of thought in Midtown Church. Oh, Phil, 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 <laughs> Phil. If you see Phil after service, please give him a hard time for it. Well, happy Super Bowl Sunday. I uh, hope you are enjoying the tone of the city, the excitement that's around. Uh, next week, we will either be the best city in all of the land or we will all be sad. Who knows? Uh, but we're excited nonetheless. Uh, as you might have noticed, Cassie isn't here. She is teaching at a, another community across town, Belong Community Church, a church we have deeply invested in and love dearly. And so um, just by way, she sends her love, her excitement that uh, she gets to be with some friends across town. It's beautiful to remember that there is more going on in Kansas City than just what's happening in our little community. And then this coming Wednesday, as Brad mentioned, is Ash Wednesday, uh, a night, a moment in which we remember the mortality of human life, a moment in which we, like Jesus, enter into the wilderness and prepare our way towards resurrection. We follow the way of the cross. If you've never been to an Ash Wednesday service, um, we'd love to have you come out. It'll be a prayer gathering in which we spend time reflecting and pondering the mystery of what we're invited into. So with that, I just want to pray as we jump into the text. Father, thank you for a moment to open up your word, to reflect on Christ and what he says to us. We pray that as we reflect on Jesus in the wilderness and his fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil, that you would help us push back the darkness. It's in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. So there is evil in the world, but there is also great good. Over the last few days or so, the weather has been amazing, right? Like, there have been so many opportunities to go out for a walk. There have been so many opportunities to just be in the sunshine again. After a miserable January, the sunshine is a great break from the cold. And so over the last couple of days, I've found myself out in a park or on a walk, just my soul aflame with the goodness of God. One of those days where the sun just warms your entire body, so caught up with how good God is. And then I'll open my email. Then I'll open up my news app and be reminded that the world is still broken. And that there is evil that is still present. There's an overwhelming immigration crisis at our borders. There's the chaos of another election cycle just around the bend. The utter horror of the Israel-Gaza conflict the fatigue I feel when I think about the war in Ukraine. There is great evil out there. But then just the other night, I snapped at Cassie. I know you would never snap at anybody, but I snapped at Cassie for no other reason than the events of the day left me anger, angered and frustrated, and she was just simply the closest target. 
There's a great evil out there, but there's also great evil in here. And I, for one, feel this battle, this conflict, this inner tug of war in my soul and in my body. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, Western secularism's theories on evil just simply don't seem to cut it. Some will say the brokenness of the world is just simply a lack of education or unequal wealth distribution, or unfair power dynamics, or a product of chaotic social dynamics, or toxic ideologies and religious practices. And to be fair, I think all of those are unjust symptoms of a world gone wrong, but they all seem to fall flat in explaining my experience, your experience, the human experience. And the solutions they propose are not much better. But on the other hand, teachers of the way of Jesus have been giving us a different lens by which we can view reality. They've offered to pull back the curtain and to expose the three enemies of the soul. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Today we're wrapping up the teaching series we've called Come Holy Spirit. And throughout this teaching, our aim has been to experience knowledge that goes deeper than information. To recognize how ordinary our encounters with God to be, can be. And to be radically open to Him. And as we've reflected recently, we want to do the Jesus stuff. We started in the Old Testament, went through the New Testament, highlighting the Spirit's activity in redemption story, and then we've zoomed in on the stuff the Spirit does, in giving us interactions with God, inspiring unlearned languages, giving us the opportunity to prophesy and be prophesied to, and the opportunity to participate in His healing. And today, as I wrap up this teaching series, I want to reflect on the role of the Spirit in helping us resist the three enemies of our soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Just a light topic for you on Super Bowl Sunday, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he went about exposing the demonic powers that lurked in the darkness and lurked in the human heart. His very presence sent them scurrying as his light filled the darkness. And then his disciples, as they were empowered by the Spirit and sent in the world, did the same thing throughout the book of Acts. It's the Apostle Peter who will warn, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith. We are invited to resist these enemies in all of their forms. So the plan for us today is to unpack the meaning of these three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And at one point, Ethan will give you an interpretive dance on demons and all the bizarre stuff that's going on. I'll show you my chart on demonology. I'm joking. There will be none of this. The invitation is just to kind of pull back the curtain and to invite a serious reflection 
on Jesus' ideas about reality. And once we kind of grasp these three enemies, we're going to reflect on the role of the Spirit and the role of Lent to help us in these fights. Welcome to church. Glad you're all here. Let's start in Genesis chapter 3. If you've got your phone, you can pull up the sermon notes. It's all detailed there. Anything I mention, you can find in those notes. In the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, we're told that God speaks. And the Spirit of God begins to organize the raw materials of creation. And the world bursts into life. And God calls it good, something we experience every single day in the warmth of the sun, the sweetness of a peach, or the joy of a beach day. And amid that creation was a garden called Paradise, or Eden. It is in this garden that God fashions his image bearers, humanity. And to those made in his image, God gives the task of caring for his creation in friendship with him. However, as the story goes, humanity breaks that relationship by listening to the voice of another. For in the garden was another being, one hell-bent on taking the world for himself. A being defined solely by his rebellion against the creator. That being revealed himself as a serpent and said to those humans, Did God actually say You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Humans respond, we can eat from any tree except from the one in the middle of the garden. For God said, if we do that, we will die. And the snake lies, you will not die. You will be gods. Deciding for yourself what is good and what is evil. And as the story goes, the humans partner with the snake and begin an insurrection. An unholy coup d'etat, if you will, transforming what God called good into the dangerous land we experience today. And from that moment forward, the human rebellion has been intertwined with a spiritual rebellion. A cosmic conflict that plays itself out throughout the Old Testament and throughout human history in violence, conquest, manipulation, sexism, colonialism, and theft. This is the origin of the conflict we find ourselves in, made for life with God, but separated from Him by a lie. So let's take a closer look at the snake, the intelligence behind the conflict, the one we call the devil. Now, the devil is depicted in several different ways throughout the biblical text, as a snake, or as a sea dragon, or a scorpion, or as a king of death, but never as a red character with horns and a pitchfork. I know you were looking for that, but it's not there. And this being goes by several different titles, like the evil one, the tempter, the devil, which means slanderer in Greek, and the Satan. Now, we'll oftentimes think of Satan as the proper name of this being, but it's really just a title that means adversary. And this being isn't specifically for anything, but is against everything. And the primary means by which this being works is through lies. 
Jesus says this in John 8. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Jesus here is speaking to a small group of Israelites that are challenging the validity of his ministry, and he just called them children of the devil, and it wasn't a compliment. Picking up again, Jesus says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When the devil lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When the serpent came to Eve, it was not with force or a slick slide deck, it was with a lie. So to be clear, I don't think the devil's main objective is to get you to sacrifice a goat and to sell your soul to him despite the satanic panic of the 80s and 90s. Those things are bad, so let me be very clear. Don't do any of those things. But his goal is not necessarily to get you involved in the occult because any number of lies will do the exact same thing. His main objective is to subtly exchange truth for lies because when we believe lies, chaos follows. As a pastor, I often have a front row seat to the damage a lie can produce in the human soul when it takes root. Lies like, if I just had that career, I would finally be satisfied. Or lies like, they don't really care about me. Or I can make myself happy. Or I'm too busy. Or you do you. Or I can do whatever I want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. It's the simplest lies that isolate us from one another at a personal level and at a global level. For the devil's main tactic is lies. Now, pause. I hear myself. Like, I know how it sounds. Um, can I be really honest? There's a lot of teachings in which I am so excited to come to you with. I'm so excited to teach you about the way of Jesus or to show up with this new insight that you've never heard. But this is not a subject that holds that place of enthusiasm in my life. We live in a moment in which everything around us tells us to only trust what we can see with our own two eyes. And I'm not suggesting we do away with the scientific process or 200 years worth of analytical research. But perhaps we can work to question our own perceptions of reality, to give some serious thought to what Jesus had to say on the nature of life itself. Like, hear me out. The, the ethical teachings of Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself, that's easy for me to believe. But then when he calls me a son of the devil, and that there is one behind the lies, there is one that seeks to cause anonymity and violence between neighbors, that I have a little bit harder time believing. But the reality is, is it all that absurd to look at Jesus' understanding of reality and say, maybe he was on to something? I mean, in the world as we experience it, is it absurd to say lies continue to thrust our world into further chaos? Lies like my skin color makes me better than them. Or we deserve that land. Or if we don't do it to them, they'll do it to us. 
or the ends justify the means, or if I just had their life, I would be happy, or she was asking for it. No one will know. I'll just do me, or it's just this one time, or the heart wants what the heart wants. A deceptive idea lies at the heart of so much of the evil we experience and we inflict on one another. And the sheer scale of evil we experience seems deliberate. Is it really all that absurd to think there might be an intelligence behind it all? For the devil's strategy is to feed us lies that play to our disordered desires, to our flesh. You're going to be at a super party later tonight, and they're going to be like, how was church? And you know what you get to say? Yeah, you get to say we talked about the devil. I'm just here giving you conversation starters, little things you can work through as you're making your way through the buffalo dip. Let's talk about our second enemy of the soul, the flesh. Now, when we talk about the flesh, we're not talking about the human body. Rather, we're talking about disordered or corrupted desire. In many ways, to be human is to experience competing desires, right? Of wanting a committed relationship, but also wanting random sexual encounters. Of wanting our stomachs to be flat, but also wanting them to be full. Of wanting to be sober but aching for another drink. Of wanting to be long to a community but also wanting another night at home with takeout. To be human is to experience this complex web of desires that sits right in our gut. A knot of appetites that consumes our minds. And some of these desires are right, healthy, and God-given while others are disordered nefarious, and self-destructive. In Freudian thought, this is called the pleasure principle. It is decision-making that works towards immediate gratification and the avoidance of pain to satisfy biological or psychological needs. It is to do whatever feels good in the moment. In the language of the New Testament, this is the tug of war between your flesh and your spirit. Paul captures this thought in Romans 7. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. When the devil lies to us, he lies in a way that plays to our disordered desires, our flesh. To Eve, the lie was simple. God is holding out on you. And you'll be better off if you did your own thing. And this is the lie that lets us justify every bad idea that comes to our imagination, right? And we when we live out of the desires of the flesh, we will end up in a hell of our own making. A life of loveless and joyless sex. Sour grabs at happiness, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, insatiable greed, a brutal temper, the inability to love or to be loved, and the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. 
we all have this way of living that's just right below the surface. And if we were to give into our worst instincts, chaos, violence, destruction reigns. It is these patterns of self-destructive sin that lead us everywhere but where we actually want to be. So not only is our opposition from an external force, one called the devil, but there is also this internal threat in our flesh. And then there's the final enemy of our soul, the world. Let's head back to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. So this is shortly after Jesus arrives in Jerusalem before his execution. He says this, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And then, just a few moments later, he says this, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Did you catch that? Verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Verse 47, I did not come to judge the world. Have you ever been confused by the scripture's use of the word world? John records these teachings using the same Greek noun, cosmon, for both. In one use, cosmon is being judged and its ruler cast out. And in another, the cosmon is, being is not being judged Rather, Jesus is saving it. Jesus uses the same word, but means different things. What is very clear is that God loves the created order and his people. God is not judging the Rocky Mountains, the Atlantic Ocean, or the Black Hills. He might be judging Florida's humidity, but he is not judging the earth and the creation as a whole. When Jesus speaks of judging the world, what he is judging is the culture, the society, and the practices that have been tainted by the evil one, creating an environment that is less than God intended, the environments where it's easier to do evil than it is to do good. The world is where we decide for ourselves what is good and what is evil. Or as Dallas Willard defines it, our cultural and social practices that are under the control of Satan and thus opposed to God. Just because everyone is doing it doesn't make it okay. An easy example to point to in history is American slavery. The demonic idea that one race is inferior becomes normalized and it becomes that's just the way things are. It worked its way into the economic, social, and political fabric of our nation. That is the power of the world. It is the mood of the day. It becomes the very air we breathe. To the Ephesian church, the Ephesian church, excuse me, Paul writes this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, 
And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul here is referring to these first century drinking parties that were absolutely wild, where one could be under the influence of strong liquor and lose their sense of judgment. So I want to be clear, Paul is not calling for full prohibition. Beer drinkers, you're okay. But he is calling for a submission to the Spirit. The analogy here is very clear. Don't waste your days under the, strong influ- the influence of strong drink, but be under the influence of the Spirit. Don't be under the influence of CNN or Fox. Be under the influence of the Spirit. Don't be under the influence of Apple, Nike, or Adidas. Be under the influence of the Spirit. Don't be under the influence of TikTok, Instagram, or YouTube. Don't be under the influence of the algorithms. Be under the influence of the Spirit. The world is still very much at work today. The question is, in what ways are we capitulating to its influence? In what ways have we exchanged the way of Jesus for the way of the world? Three enemies of our soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Just to cap this off, Paul refers to all three in Ephesians chapter 2. He writes, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Following the course of the world, following the prince of the air, living according to the passions of the flesh. And in chapter 6, he calls us to fight back. Stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're called to be gentle with people, but to violently struggle with the devil, the flesh, and the world. Take a deep breath with me. I know this is a bizarre topic on Super Bowl Sunday. Um, One that, frankly, I tried to talk Cassie out of making me do this one, but she's like, no, we need to stick on pace because this was something we had decided on a long time ago. I think part of why she... and. Frankly, I think the Spirit continued to lead us down this path is because as we learn to hear the voice of the Spirit, we also encounter opposition. We encounter things we can't quite explain. Our tendencies change and we're drawn to do things that are frankly outside the realm of what we're called to as Christians. This is what is typically referred to as spiritual warfare. I prefer the term contending, but despite my discomfort with the violent rhetoric, Scripture regularly describes our faith 
as a conflict. We're called to fight the good fight of faith, as Paul writes to Timothy. And this will be the fight of our lives for our soul against the three enemies, the lies we believe, the ache for instant gratification, and the gravitational pull of the crowd. But there is good news. Our teacher has given us an example to follow. He has invited us to live a life he describes as abundant. He has, li- he has invited us to find peace amid the presence of our enemies. So I want to close with reflecting on the passage Phil read over us in Luke 4, where we see how Jesus engaged in this conflict. So you know the story. Jesus is driven out of his hometown and led by the Spirit into the countryside. And that ancient serpent makes an appearance again, tempting Jesus to turn rocks into bread, to give into his ambition and to take power for himself. And three times Jesus is tempted, offering, offered a different way to change the world. And each time he responds with words from the scripture, resisting the temptation, resisting the evil one who is responsible for the brokenness of our world. Oftentimes when we talk about fighting the devil, we conjure up something that's more akin to the conjuring or the exorcist. We think of like eyes wildly rolling back in holy water. Um, But if you read through that text once more, you'll notice that Jesus doesn't seem to shout or demand something or follow some incantation. He simply confronts lies with truth. He resists the urge for instant gratification to satiate the hunger he feels. And he refused to follow the way of the world in its displays of power. The conflict with the evil one wasn't loud. It didn't involve any weaponry. It involved confronting lies, resisting the easy way, and pushing back against the ways of the world. So fighting looks a lot less like demanding things and a lot more like learning to rely on the Spirit. Learning to be dependent upon the Spirit of God. To the lies, the Spirit is the one who delivers truth to our soul. To the flesh, the Spirit is the one who guides us towards a fruitful life. A life described by joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. To the world, the Spirit is the one who makes us a part of a new kingdom with a new culture. The primary weapon in this fight is learning to walk with the Spirit. To put aside the distractions and learn to be led. And year after year, we are invited to follow Jesus into the wilderness to fight the three enemies of our soul, and to listen to the Spirit through the practice and seasons of Lent. Worship team, would you join me? This coming Wednesday begins the season of Lent. 
If you've never observed Lent, it's a 40-day period from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday. And to be clear, Lent is an invitation. We will not force you to do anything, but we really do believe that if you engage, your priorities will be clarified and you will draw closer to God. So everything is an invitation. You will not be coerced. Your arm will not be twisted behind your back. You will not be made to feel bad if you do not participate. But as we go into Lent, we would say there is something special about this season. When we learn what it is to follow the way of Jesus in repentance, fasting, and self-denial. So a quick word on those three things. Repentance, fasting, and self-denial. Repentance um, isn't like banging your head against the floor and feeling bad for all the ways you've gone wrong. Um, repenting is reflecting on the character, the nature of your soul, thinking through the way you've thought about things and returning back to God. It's an invitation to learn more about yourself, to discover the ways you've believed lies, it's an introspective journey meant to uncover the lies we've believed and follow our way back to God. The second practice is fasting, which is going without food for a short period, typically 12 hours, learning how to resist the flesh. In fasting, our body and our soul come into harmony, expressing a unified hunger for God and for God alone. Now, two things quickly. Fasting is as simple as replacing your lunch with a time of prayer. The goal is to connect more with God, not to prove how righteous you are. That is actually the opposite process. So if you're bragging about how often you're fasting, that is not the goal. I've discovered that when I practice specifically fasting, I quickly discover where I'm still under the influence of something other than Jesus. My, my spiritual director will often say, where you feel the conflict is likely where you need to grow. The days in which I fast, I quickly move from a patient man to a very impatient one. Um, don't ask Cassie about it, please. The days I just simply skip a meal because I'm interested in praying to God, I find that there's still very much a real war going on inside me. In fasting, we discover where our heart is still captive. Now, quick thing on fasting. If you've ever experienced an eating disorder or you have a current medical condition, um, please get some advice before engaging in this. Again, the goal of fasting is to connect with God, not to harm the body. So please seek either pastoral advice, medical attention, just talk to someone if that has been part of your experience. Again, no shame, all of this is invitational. The final piece of this is self-denial or abstinence. The practice of creating margin in our life to focus on Christ. 
This is removing social media or streaming or video games or a hobby or alcohol or a particular activity. None of these things are bad, but self-denial is not putting away evil things. Rather, it's putting away good things that have become a distraction. It's a season to declutter our hearts and point ourselves back to the king. And it includes these three practices. It's a season where we journey into the wilderness and discover the leading of God's spirit. A season where we journey into the wilderness and discover that God has been waiting for us there. So if you would stand with me as we prepare to respond. of our life will be resisting the temptations of the lies we believe about ourselves, the instant gratification of the flesh, and the gravitational pull of the crowds. And the only way we will survive this fight, the only way we will fight the good fight of faith is learning to rely on the power of the Spirit. The one who speaks truth to the lies, the one who challenges us to go the way of Jesus, the one who invites us into a new kingdom. So in the next moment, we'll just take 30 seconds of quiet just to open ourselves up to the the voice of the Spirit. And as we open ourselves up, just maybe consider the ways in which you might practice Lent this coming season. How you might awaken your soul to the war and fight the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'll pray over us and then we'll take a moment in quiet to let the Spirit speak. Father, as we consider what you've invited us to, as we consider the world we reside in, would you help us come awake to the war that we've always been a part of? Would you help us to see the influence of lies, of our flesh, of the world on our soul? And then help us lean into and listen to the still, small voice of your spirit. We pray, come Holy Spirit. listening to the Midtown Church Weekly Podcast. To find out more or to join a church gathering, check out our website at midtownkc.church.